0: And we've been going through this series in Ephesians. We, we've made it uh, just about to the halfway point. Um, the chapter 4 would be the halfway point of this book. So we're just about there. Um, but we've seen in this book so far some amazing things uh, that God has done um, in history and in eternity past. So we see in this book that Paul was this Jewish apostle that had been called by God. And he's writing this group of Ephesian Gentiles. And he may, is making it a point so far to, to really drill in what it means that God has worked a work of salvation in history. He talk, started off in chapter 1 talking about God's grand plan. This plan that God devised before the foundations of the world. This plan to save his people. And he also speaks of humanity's involvement in that grand plan. God has this grand plan to unite all things under Christ's feet, to glorify himself, and he uses humans in that plan. We participate in that. We're involved in this grand plan that God has made. And then he starts to make the point that this grand plan uh, that, that, that God has made and our involvement in that has ramifications in our life. And the first place that he pointed to was our relationship with the Jewish people, right—the the Jews and Gentiles—now that they've both been reconciled to God, they are therefore reconciled to one another, and that's what we looked at last week. How God has created one new man in the place of those two peoples, uh, one new man—that is the Church of Jesus Christ. And today, we're going to see how that Church, uh, another view of how that Church impacts uh, the the universe, really. If you go to Walmart today, um, and you take a kid with you, as you get up to the, uh, to the line there, there's, what, what is right next to the checkout counter at Walmart? All that candy, right? And for some reason, there, there's good candy up there. There's, there's Milky Ways, there are um, you know, Snickers, whatever you, whatever you love, but for some reason, your kid will not go for those things that are good. They're gonna go for this little egg okay it's called a kinder joy, okay, and you open this bad boy up and it, it kind of folds in half uh, one side of this has I think it's chocolate it's like a creamy thing you like you have this spoon i don 't know what it is i've never actually eaten it, but on the other side of that egg is a mystery it's a toy uh, the the toy factories are capitalizing off of this idea of mystery, like they will sell you the uh trying to watch my language here. The the worst toy there is, and they'll get you to pay dozens of dollars for a little piece of plastic because it is a mystery. For some reason, that idea of mystery just provokes us, provokes humans. And we spend uh, lots of money to figure out mysteries in the world. If you think of uh, maybe your favorite show from the 90s, maybe one of my favorite shows, is Unsolved Mysteries. We loved that show, right? Because it was something that we didn't understand, something that was hidden, and we wanted to know uh, what, what was the, the truth behind that mystery. Or if you think of some of the greatest mysteries in the world, whether that's Stonehenge in the British Isles of like this circle of stones, how did they get those stones there? Or where did they come from? Or you think of the pyramids, how did they build the pyramids? All this mystery just makes us, it, it makes us interested in it. Uh, we want to know what is the answer, what is, the, what is behind this mystery. And today, in our passage, Paul is going to speak of a mystery, this, this great mystery that has now been revealed. So with that being said, let's look at this passage, and then from that we're going to see how Paul begins this prayer for his, for his Ephesian brothers and sisters, but then is in one sense interrupted by himself Because he starts to think of this mystery that God has revealed and he starts to talk about that mystery. So let's go to the word of God. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. So Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, it says this. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to sons of men in other generations, as it has been, uh, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery Which is your glory. If you actually go ahead and read that next verse in verse fourteen, you'll catch that he picks up that very prayer that he was just about to pray. Right? So he says in verse one, for this reason I Paul a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Then he picks up in fourteen, for this reason, like he uses that same language. It's almost like he said, For this reason. As because I'm a prisoner for you guys on your behalf. And it interrupts. he interrupts himself and then picks his prayer back up, which is what we'll look at next week. But Paul interrupts himself to take a moment to unravel this mystery um, that he's speaking of. To talk to these folks about this mystery of them being involved in the grand plan of God. Because I think when he says that, when he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles... That would probably probably be troubling to them, right? I'm in prison for you guys. Uh, I don't know if any of you have anybody that has suffered for your behalf, but that might bring about some anxiety for you. You might feel bad because of the suffering they're going through for your benefit. But that's what these Ephesians are, are going through. Paul's suffering on their behalf <laughs> So in order to comfort them and to, to bring some solace to them, he explains this mystery and gives them some, um, some insight into this mystery. And this mystery needs to be something that not only explains why Paul is suffering, but brings, also brings comfort to these Ephesians and also to us. We need to marvel at this mystery um, that Paul's about to reveal. So Paul, when he starts off, he, he shows us that Paul sees this mystery as a gift. Notice that he says, I received this. He says, I'm assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Stewardship is the idea of I'm giving you this property or this item and you're taking care of it. It's it's in your possession. You take care of it for, for a time. So Paul sees this mystery, this revelation of God as something that he's been given and he's kind of a manager of a temporary manager of. So he says that, I'm assuming that you've heard of this stewardship of God's grace that was given to me and how the mystery was made known to me. Made known to me. That's a passive verb, right? To be made known. This mystery was given to Paul. He's making the point that he didn't devise this mystery. He didn't create it. He didn't sit down in front of a typewriter and think up, how can I make up this really great story about how humanity has been impacted? This was not something that came from his mind. I mean, he's not an author trying to create a bestseller. That was not what he set out to do. He received what he's giving to them. This truth, this mystery is something that has to be revealed to us. Just like Paul, when we want to have a perception into this mystery, it has to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of us being, being spiritually dead. We've seen that already in this book so far. Uh, or having spiritual blinders on. If we're going to understand anything about the Lord, we have to remember that it is a spiritual venture. It's not, a, it's not a, um, a venture of the mind, but it's a venture of the spirit. And the spirit has to open that up to us. So Paul is seeing this, this mystery, the stewardship that he's been given. Um, it's been given to him. It's been revealed to him. And he sees it as a grace as well. Um, He says later on that I've been made a, a minister of this in verse seven of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So Paul, as he's sitting in prison, sitting in prison because of this mystery that he's been telling people about, he looks at it and says, man, I was given this mystery as a gift. It's a grace that I have insight into this mystery, and it's a grace that I'm able to tell other people about this. Even if I'm suffering, even if it put me in prison behind bars, I still see this as a gift. Paul saw the fact that he was able to participate in this, in this uh, mystery, he saw it as a gift. Something that had not been revealed but had been revealed. Which brings us to the point of this. We're talking about this mystery being revealed. When we say mystery, a lot of times what we think of is the idea of something being unknowable. Like we might say, uh, why does God do certain things? It's a mystery. We'll never know. That's not the way that Paul is actually using this word. Paul's using it as there's something that was hidden, but now the, the curtain's been pulled back and we see. So Paul says this mystery was hidden for years, for generations. He said it wasn't made known to the people of the past, but has now been made known to the apostles and prophets, again, by the Spirit. So Paul is making a point that this mystery was something that had been hidden for a long time, but by God's grace, it's been revealed to me. It's been revealed to people now. And by God's grace, I get to be a servant of that. So Paul sees uh, this mystery as a gift for him. But then he transitions into explaining what this mystery is. So Paul sees this ministry, uh, mystery as a gift. Now the Gentiles should see this mystery as inclusion. Notice what it says in verse 6. This mystery is... So we're getting the definition of the ministry. This or min, min, uh, min, uh, mystery... Goodness. Ministry and mystery are too close to the, to the same word. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the same promise. Hopefully to most of us in here, that doesn't seem like that great of a mystery. Like, hopefully we see that and we think, obviously, Jews and Gentiles in the same body. That makes sense to us. Because that's just the way it's been for us for a long time. Um, As far as the history of redemption, we've never known Uh, Jews and Gentiles being separated from one another in this sense. We've always been united with Christ. But if you even think of us, like even now, if you think of the idea of black people and white people being separated, even for us today, that seems really foreign. But in some of our lifetimes, just 50, 60 years ago, there was a time when a building like this would have two separate water fountains, right? One for the black people, one for the white people. And to me... That seems just, that's, that's preposterous, right? And maybe the people back then might think, man, it'd be a mystery if we could all have the same water fountain. That would be a mystery. How would that work? Because for them in that moment, the separation, the division was so real, so visible. And so it would be a mystery to them to say, how can we all have equal rights? And I think in the same thing could apply for us as we think about these Jews and Gentiles It doesn't seem to us like that should be a mystery that Jewish people and Gentile people should be separate because that's just what we've grown up with. But we need to remember this is a mystery. This is is an amazing thing that Jews and Gentiles would be united. That God, who had chosen the Jewish people and told them to separate from the Gentile people, has now broken down those walls that separated them before. That is... Uh, what Paul is speaking to and these Gentiles as they think of this mystery being revealed they need to see it as this is we're, we're fellow heirs now with the Jewish people we receive the things they receive imagine uh, a boy who had, who had spent his entire life um, either in foster care or, or in a, a foster home um, in some kind of orphanage somewhere but then later on in his life He's adopted by one of the wealthy families in the town. And the moment he steps in, that family treats him as if he was a son from the day he was born. And everything in that house is his. Uh, He has his own room. He gets to eat from the same pantry as everybody else. And at the end of his life, he receives an inheritance from that father as if that father had given birth to him. That's the feeling that the Gentiles would have stepping into uh, this relationship with God. In that moment, these, these Gentiles who had been separated from God for millennia were now brought into a relationship with God in such a way that they had the same inheritance as the Jewish people. And remember, this actually bothered a lot of Jewish people. If you remember the parable that Jesus told of the workers who were in the field, he said some workers went out at 6 a.m. and they worked all day long. Then he says some workers went out at 4.30 And they all got off at 5. But they all got paid the same wage. Now the people who had worked their whole day were upset that the people that worked 30 minutes got the same pay. And I'm guessing all of you guys would be upset as well if that happened to you in your job. But Jesus was making the point that God can choose to dispense grace to people however he wishes. And the Jewish people who had been with God for millennia... Get the same benefits and blessings as the Jewish people who had just stepped into a relationship with God. That's a mystery. That's an amazing thing that has now been revealed to these people. So these Jewish people, they get the same blessings. They are fellow heirs. They're the same body. Partakers of the same promise. They did not have the same history as one another. But now they do have the same future. They're partakers in this promise that God had given to say, Hey, one day I'm going to make the whole world right again through my Messiah. And there's going to be a day when I reign supreme over all things. And that's the hope to which the Jewish people had looked for a long time. And now that's the same hope that Gentile people get to have as we participate in uh, these promises. And again, we, we might not see it as a mystery that that people of all ethnicities are participants in the body of Christ. But at one time, that would have been a mystery. That would have been uh, something crazy to imagine. But really, the mystery, let's dig in. Let's think, what really is the mystery? It's not just that Gentiles can benefit from the Jewish religion, because that was kind of talked about in the Old Testament. The mystery was, how is that going to be made possible? How is it that these two peoples might be made one? How is it that these, these, this, these two peoples might become one new man? And it is in the end of verse 6. they are heirs, members of the body, partakers in the promise, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was the mystery. How this union between these peoples would be made? It's because of Christ. And what did Christ provide for us? At the core of what Jesus did, he granted us forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. And those sins, when they're removed, we can be united. And to think, this, this, the way that Jesus accomplished this mystery, it's an amazing thing to think about how simple the act was from a worldly perspective. Have you ever thought about what Jesus really did from a worldly perspective? If there was no Christianity and you just, you just looked at what Jesus did, he was a peasant that hung on a piece of wood in a dump outside of town for a few hours. From a worldly perspective, Jesus was just a Jewish peasant that hung on a piece of wood in the city dump. That should not make much of an impact on history. But that's from a worldly perspective. And for the Jewish people, and for even us today, we might see that as, how does that make an impact on on history? But what really happened, it wasn't just a Jewish peasant hanging on a piece of wood in the city dump. It was really the divine son of God who came in the flesh and willingly took upon himself our sins and experienced our punishment. He took our lashings. He wore our crown of thorns. His, our nails were driven through his hands and he was hung on our cross. And when he did so, not only did he display God's love and the fact that he was sending his son to die for us, but he also satisfied God's wrath, paying the debt that was owed to us. So that whoever trusts in Christ, who turns from their sins and believes in what Jesus did, that person is not only reconciled to God, but also to his fellow man. That's what happened on the cross. Not a peasant dying in the dump, but the son of God dying on a a hill of victory. And that is the mystery. That is what it took to unite not only humanity to God, but humanity to itself. So we have to see Paul saw this mystery as a gift. The Gentiles saw this mystery as inclusion in the body. And now, third, the spiritual beings see this mystery as God's wisdom. And this is where we kind of read this passage and we start to think, what what is going on here? Look at verse um, verse 9 and 10. It talks about him uh, bringing light to everyone uh, as a plan for mystery, hidden Uh, For ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, in some sense, we're kind of getting out there. Like, what is what is Paul talking about? Well, this passage says that these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places observe what God has done in history and they see it as a revelation of his wisdom. Who are these spiritual beings? Well, some commentators will say these are God's angels who observe what God has done and praise God for it. Some people will say these are um, maybe demons or other uh, spiritual beings that um, observe what God has done and um, and and quake because of the the what God has done, but either way, the point is this that Reconciliation to God and reconciliation to our fellow man blows the minds of these spiritual beings. Um, These spiritual beings that look on, on history, they see it and it's, it's an amazing thing. It blows their minds. They say, how wise is God that he might not only reconcile people to him, but also reconcile people to each other? The angels... Their minds are blown when they look on and see salvation. But what does that say about us? Lowly creatures formed from the dust. As we think about our salvation, we should marvel even more than the angels do at God's wisdom in providing salvation to us. We should marvel even more. But do we marvel often at our salvation? We kind of get used to it. We come in the door, sing the songs, hear the word and leave again. It's often just kind of rote memory. Uh, Talk about getting stuck in a rut. We get so used to salvation. And if we're honest, we might even get a little bored with it. I've heard the salvation stuff before. I know, grace by faith, that's great. But as angels look on and see what we do here in the church, they marvel at it. And we should too. We should marvel at the fact that we have been reconciled to God every week. As we look back on from Sunday to Sunday, we should think, how is it that God could save me from this past week? I sinned in ways that I'm embarrassed about. Uh, I've I've turned my back on the Lord again and yet again, he's still faithful to save me. We should marvel at that. And if we're not marveling at that, it's because we have lowered our view of God. of sin and lowered our view of who God is. Because the fact that a holy God can redeem an unholy people is unfathomable. The fact that a holy God who can't have sin in his presence brings sinful people into his presence should baffle us. And that was only made possible through Christ. We've got to change the way we see what we do in the church. Notice in verse 10 it says, this, this, this display of wisdom that God does for the cosmos is done where? In the church. Now, I'm not talking about 109 North Cherry. I don't mean that. That's the address of this, this building. I don't mean just what we do in these four walls. I mean what we do as the church, the things that we do. That's where God displays his manifold wisdom. This great grand plan that he's designed has come together in Christ and it's expressed, we see it visibly within the church, within his people that he's redeemed. So church, let me encourage you to change your perspective, put new glasses on uh, for the things that we do as a church. Let me tell you a story about three guys who uh, who were in the process of building a beautiful cathedral, a, a grand, big, a big building uh, where um, church would happen someday. The first guy... He hated it. He hated every, everything that he did. With every brick that he laid, he hated it. The second guy, he was okay with it. He was like, this, this is fine. The third guy, he loved what he was doing. First guy hated it. Second guy was okay with it. The last guy loved it. So ask, why, why, why do you, uh, what is it that you do? Why do you, how do you, why do you feel this way? Well, the first guy said, I'm laying bricks. So you can imagine, uh, Dennis, you've laid a lot of bricks in your life. Your dad's a bricklayer. Uh, laying bricks is probably not the most exciting thing in the world. You scoop the mortar, you lay the brick, you do it again. Pretty boring. So the first guy says, what are you doing? I'm laying bricks. The second guy had a different perspective. He said, I'm building a church. So he thought there's maybe a little bit of more worth and value to what he's doing. The third guy said, I'm erecting the house of God. Pretty different perspective from those three guys. First guy hated it. Second guy was okay with it. Third guy loved it. First guy said, I'm just laying bricks. Second guy said, I'm building a church for people to use. Third guy said, I'm erecting the house of God. The first guy had a job. The second guy had a career. But the third guy had a purpose. He saw what he was doing impacted more than just him. It would impact uh, things forever. So I think we have to think about that when we come into the church when you come to the church, what are you, what are you doing? I'm sitting in a seat, listening to a speech. Well, you're probably not going to enjoy it very much, right? Well, if your perspective is, I'm becoming more like Jesus, that's going to help you be okay with it and be good with it. But if you say, my participation in Christianity displays God's manifold wisdom to the heavenly beings, there's some purpose behind that. So it's not just... I'm having a Bible study or I'm teaching a lesson or whatever it is. You are, when you participate in the things that the church does, you're displaying God's manifold wisdom in the heavenly places. You're making angels fall down and worship God because of how wise he is to make you all sit together as one people to hear his word and be saved from your sins. Like That is an amazing thing. And every time you participate in something the church does... That is what you're doing. You're displaying God's manifold wisdom to the world. And this this perspective is what allowed Paul to do what he was doing. What was Paul doing? Sitting in prison. And how was he okay with that? He could have said, you know what? I'm sitting in prison. Or he could change his perspective and say, hey, I'm, I'm making a point that people should be able to speak about religion. Or third, he could say, I'm proclaiming this this mystery not only to my people, but also to the Gentile people. That was Paul's perspective. He had purpose in what he was doing, which allowed him to persist under persecution. And if we think about that within our lives, folks, we have to do that same thing. Change your perspective on what goes on in your life. When you suffer something, when you go through something difficult, or maybe specifically when you're persecuted for your faith, what allows you to pursue through that or push through that? Well, it's not that you're just you know, trying to make it through that persecution or you're not just trying to make a point. You're participating in this eternal plan that God had created before the foundations of the world that will be completed after uh, this when God's done with this world. And you're participating in that and that can allow you to push through the most difficult circumstances or maybe something difficult, more difficult which would be to participate in some of the mundane things that we do as a church that might seem insignificant, but have eternal ramifications. We don't just feed a kid a hot dog on a Wednesday night. Uh, We're filling their bellies, pointing them to the one who uh, will truly satisfy their soul. Like you're not just watching a baby in the nursery. You're allowing a parent to be made more like Christ as they sit in the service that they might glorify God. Right? Nothing that we do... Uh, in faith through the church is insignificant. Nothing, uh, none of it is meaningless. All of it is what this this passage says that through the church the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Remember that in everything that you do. And this mystery, it, it, it was a gift to Paul. It's inclusion for the Gentiles. It's uh, it's the manifold wisdom for the spiritual beings and for us. We can see that all of this applies to us as well. But for us in verse eleven, we see. Or in verse 10, in Jesus Christ, we have access and boldness and confidence through faith to him. We can approach a holy God with confidence, with whatever cares, whatever burdens we have. We can approach him with confidence because of what Christ has done. And nothing you bring to him is a burden to him. You can be as bold as a kid in the middle of the night um, asking you for a drink of water. That's boldness, to wake somebody up in the middle of the night for just a cup of water. But you can do that kind of thing to your God. You can, you can wake him. You don't have to wake him. You can go to him at any moment of any day with any problem and be so bold as to ask God to help you with it, and he will do so. Not begrudgingly, but willingly, because he desires to have that relationship with his children. So folks, let's not be a people that get bored with this mystery uh, that God has revealed to us. Let's not be a people who uh, are just going through the motions, but let's be a people who are continually, week in, week out, reinvigorated to worship this God who's revealed this mystery to us, that it would be a marvelous thing to us, that we wouldn't be bored with it, but we would see how it's changed our lives and will continue to change our lives. And it's honestly the greatest thing that we can pass along to anybody else that we come in contact with in our lives. We're going to sing a song here in a moment called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. You can obviously tell why I picked that song, but it's a beautiful song that just goes through just the gospel story of God uh, taking on flesh in Christ and the hope that we have in his return. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing this song that would encourage us to think of this mystery. Father, we come before you, and we thank you.